Matthew chapter 7. title of the message this morning is The Goal of the Gospel. We've been focusing for the last few weeks now on Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. And a lot of people, they're, they're going in a direction, trying to live their life, and they kind of don't know what the goal is. We talk about the gospel, we talk about what the Bible says, but we don't know where it's leading. And the goal of the gospel is obedient faith. Obedient faith. And I'd like you to remember that. Instead of self-serving religion, and we'll talk about that as well. Obedient faith instead of self-serving religion. You'll be in Matthew chapter 7, starting verse 21 here in just a moment. By way of introduction, I want us to read Matthew chapter 7, verses 21, 22, and 23. Matthew chapter 7, please. Matthew 7, verse 21 says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Shocker. Not everyone that talks that way is going to heaven. But he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Now what you just read are the words of Jesus. These are not the condemning words of a human being. These are not judgmental words of somebody that that would cut you to the core. These are the words of Jesus. And he shocked his audience. Because people naturally think that if, if you could just learn the lingo, if I could just sound spiritual and even know some things about God and Jesus, then I could sneak into heaven. People believe that it would even be just, just the icing on the cake if they could have some spiritual moments in their life where they could do something amazing. Like prophesy. I get emails regularly of people who tell me, be careful, the end of the world's coming, and, and uh, the economy's going to collapse, and, and all these things. You know, if one time they get it right, they're going to say, I was right, I was right, I was right. <laughs> People think that if you had that spiritual ability, that spiritual moment, or that you were even able to cast out a demon in someone, or do some miraculous good deed, then that proves you're a shoe in for heaven. That's what people think. Well, Jesus turns it on its head. You see, he terrifyingly says to these people, and he calls them ye that work iniquity, he says, I don't know who you are. Which is a terrifying thing for somebody who says, but I've been doing it for you. I've been, I've been doing all these things to impress you. And the Lord says, you never got my attention. I'm telling you, you've got to pay attention to what we're going to read this morning. We take it for granted. But this separates self-serving religion, what you can do, from obedient faith, what Christ enables you to do. Let's pray. Father, please make some things clear and helpful for the believer, but some things convicting and terrifying for the lost in this room. And I pray that we take it seriously, that we weren't saved just to live as we please 
But we've been born into the family of God to live like your child. I pray that we would take it seriously that people who can pray a prayer and say a, a, a fancy phrase and can even do miracles doesn't guarantee they're going to heaven. Lord, what guarantees us going to heaven is Jesus Christ to him alone. I pray that every person in this room would settle, are they right with him? And Lord, uh, just teach us how to trust and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, i give you an example from American baseball. It, sometimes my examples are lame. Don't, don't say anything. But they're very simple because in American baseball, if you've ever watched a game, they play on this pitch called a diamond, all right? And on this diamond, there are four bases. You have first base, second base, ninth base. No, it's third base. I mean, it's pretty simple, okay? And then home base. And what happens is a man called the pitcher throws a ball, and there's a guy there at bat, and with all of his strength, he hits that ball, and it goes flying, and his job is to run to first base, and if he can, to run to second base, and if he still can, run to third base, and if nobody's after him, to get back to home base, and he gets a score. That's his goal. Sounds pretty simple, isn't it? Well, uh, it's America. America likes basketball, football, and stuff, but Americans, real Americans, love baseball, okay? And I've always grown up loving baseball. But in American baseball, there is, there are, there are spotters here that watch the runner who's hit the ball. When you're running and you come beside that base, you must touch that base to be allowed to go to the next base. Are you getting me? All right. And if he hits a home run and he rounds around the end and rounds around the side and side and comes and gets over here and never touches first base, guess what? He has to go back to first base and start all over or else he fails. I'm going to say in our Christianity and in modern religion, most people have never touched first base. They are focused on trying to get to heaven. I haven't met too many people who don't want to go to heaven, but they've never gotten to first base. So I want to teach you about there there is a Christian race. There is a there is a job to do. There is stuff that we must be doing, but until you've touched first base, you have done nothing at all. So look at every person's desire in Matthew 7 21. Notice the desire of the people that Jesus is speaking to. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter where? Into the kingdom of heaven. Now most everyone deep down hopes to go to heaven when they die. Okay? Uh, I, that would be normal if I asked somebody, where, where do you hope to go when you die? Uh, heaven, all right? Not many people want the alternative. Truly, I, I, I have found that even the most wicked man, the most wicked woman and teenager hopes to go to heaven when they die. But everyone is going to have to pass through something called the judgment. Hold your place here and let's go to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Almost to the end of your New Testament is the book of Hebrews. Not quite to Revelation. You got to Revelation gone too far. Come back. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27. There is coming a day, a dreadful day, when you and I and everyone who's ever lived will be judged by Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9.27, and as it is appointed, are you with me? 
Hebrews 9.27. This is one of those verses you ought to put a star beside, put a box around, highlight, and remember, verse 27 says, And as it is appointed unto men once to die. But after this, the, not the celebration, not yet, but the judgment. Everyone is going to have their day in court, standing before the Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth. And that's a good thing, too. Because too many people believe they can get away with murder. Too many people think that they can lie and embezzle and, and steal and oppress and be cruel and f- commit fornication and do anything with any girl or any guy they want and uh, live a selfish, oppressive life and think, yeah, but God will accept me. Really? You're going to stand before the judge one day. There's coming a day where every sin you've ever thought, every sin you've ever done is going to be exposed. It's a terrifying day. What are you hoping to get you through that day? Your religion? That's what these people were hoping for. Remember, when Jesus would speak to a crowd, he wouldn't pat them on the back. Often, he would shake them to the core. He would go and say something the exact opposite of what they were expecting. This group that Jesus is referring to really believes they're going to be first in line to heaven. I know how to pray. I know how to call you Lord. I know how to do miracles. Lord, I did it all for you. Everything in my life was done for your, in your name for you. And Jesus said, I don't even know you. That ought to shock you. That ought to scare you. They're proud of themselves. Now, there are two big problems with religion here. All right, they're in verse 21, 22. Read them again silently while I read out loud. You'll see them. Verse 21 says there's a problem with religious words. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord. So there's a problem with religious words. And they're good words. And when I say religions, I'm talking about people's best efforts to look, sound, walk, talk, smell, and act like they're good enough to get to heaven. That's what religion is. Somebody says, you found religion. No, I didn't find religion. I found Christ. But in their mind, wow, you're looking different. You're walking different. You're sounding different. You're smelling different. Everything's about you different. And they think that's religion. Religion is what you try to do to be good enough to go to heaven. Now, there's nothing wrong with trying hard to be good. Amen? It's it. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you think you'll ever be good enough to walk right into God's heaven, you've got another thing coming. You're not able to admit just how sinful you really are. And that's how come your goodness won't work. Now, religions have two fatal fatal flaws. One is good words, Lord, Lord. And these aren't evil words. Those are good words. Calling Jesus Lord is a right thing. As a matter of fact, even the devil one day will bow the knee and he will admit that Jesus is Lord. I just choose to do it now because that day will do you no good. These are right words. They're religious words. They're even respectful words. But they're not enough to get you into God's kingdom. And you know, I have I have watched, and I saw it in my own life before I became a Christian, before I got converted. People have no problem learning religious lingo. When I, when I started going to Hilltop Baptist Church, and I tried to sit right where, not quite where Dermot is, but a little bit near where Dermot's sitting, I tried to sit in the back, so nobody would notice me, but somebody noticed me. And they came up to me and they said, hey, glad to see you here. Get your hand out there. Glad to see you there. Are you saved? I never heard that word before in my life. 
Of course, what did I say? Sure. <laughs> well, that's great. Glad to have you here. Then I'd come. I'd be trying to mind my own business again. And somebody came up to me and say, hey, I've seen you here a couple of weeks now. Are you a Christian? Yeah, sure. <laughs> so guess what I needed? I went and I got me a Bible. Got a Bible on my arm. I can tell people I'm saved. <laughs> Whatever that means. I, I, all of a sudden, I mean, I love going to church because the people sang like they believed it. And I said, I want to sing like that too. And I mean, the singing, and I start to sing, and I go, I can sing. But I was as lost as the chair you're sitting in. Are you with me? So I learned the lingo. Plenty of people learn, oh yeah, born again, oh yeah, yeah, Bible believing, oh yeah, yeah, Jesus, oh yeah, Lord, Lord. They know the lingo. Religion has all kinds of words. Try to remember all the words you had to memorize about the Catholic Church. Monsignors and nunneries and monasters coming out of monasteries. All the things, you know, vespers and, and uh, hey folks, all that religious lingo will do you no good. Okay? Religious words. You know what Jesus says? Jesus says, saying Jesus is Lord is not the same as obeying Jesus as Lord. Did you get that? Not everyone who says unto me, Lord, Lord, but he that does the will of my Father. Jesus is a way of testing our hearts. You're in Matthew. Go to the right. Go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. In verse 46, Luke 6, in verse 46. Holding your place there in Matthew, Luke 6, 46, Jesus still speaking. And he says, okay, so you call me Lord. Why call ye me Lord, Lord? And notice the next question, the next part of the question. And do not the things which I say. Doesn't that strike as hypocrisy? Doesn't that strike as you call me Lord, but you won't do what I tell you? Hebrews 5. Keep going to the right. Find Hebrews again. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 9. Hebrews 5, 9. Speaking of Jesus. Being made perfect. He became the author of eternal salvation to all that obey him. What's the mark of a Christian? Not telling me. I don't listen, I'm glad you believe the Bible is the word of God. I'm glad you believe uh, in, in New Testament Christianity. I'm glad that you believe in praying. I'm glad, but if you can't if you can't have a life that lives what you believe, then what good is your belief? Amen? Pride in our words. He's the author of eternal salvation unto all that obey him. You know, if somebody went around here all day saying, praise the Lord. God is so good. It may impress the rest of us. Amen? I mean, I like that when somebody comes along and they're going through a hard time and they go, well, praise the Lord. Amen. Praise the Lord doesn't get you into heaven. Words are cheap. It's nice to hear them, but it's better to see them lived out in our actions. Ask any wife. Come on, Beth, say amen. Does a wife only want to hear her husband's sweet words or his sacrificial efforts for her? 
ask a child who waits for their parents to spend time with them. I'll be with you in a little while. And the kid's sitting there playing for hours, waiting for dad to come in. Ask any job seeker who keeps hearing over and over, you're the right person for the job, but they won't call them and say, come and get the job. Words are cheap. Even good words are cheap. People take pride in their good words, but they take more pride in their good works. And I'm going to say this. Verse 22, back there in 722, Matthew 722. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wondrous works. 722. Believe me, these are fantastic works. Uh, these are things that almost anybody would die to be able to actually perform. Here were people who could prophesy the future in Christ's name. They could tell the future. They could say when the next mass murderer would strike. You'd like to hang around that guy, wouldn't you? Be able to say, where's where did I'm not supposed to be? <laughs> they could point out what the stock market is going to do and which next stock is going to skyrocket. Could predict the next earthquake and spare thousands of lives. These guys could stand up and predict the future. They could cast out devils. Is that the nope? They could cast out devils. You ever known anybody who completely lost their mind besides yourself? We would all agree. But I'm talking about people who cut themselves, attempt suicide, live out of control. Wouldn't it be wonderful if somebody could walk in there and pray over them and touch them and they'd be back in their right mind? You'd worship at their feet. If that was a loved one, amen. Many people one day are going to stand before God with great pride in what they were able to do. Hmm. In this crowd were many who did wonderful works. Wonderful works. Not evil works, but good things. They were not well known as bank robbers or as adulterers taking another man's wife or great liars, but they were known for doing great humanitarian things. And the names of these men and women were well known by audiences. It's like being praised by Hollywood. Don't look for it, folks. But Taoiseachs and presidents and popes in the media will praise these who do great things like Elon Musk, like Bill Gates, setting up foundations to try to help people. And these names are praised. Have you ever noticed how many wicked, wicked uh, musicians and movie stars go out of their way to do something good? Do something so that, so that they do a humanitarian, they show up down in Puerto Rico so they can show off and say, I'm trying to help these poor people. Yeah, they're proud and they're good works. And they say, God owes me. Hmm. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. Still holding your place in Matthew, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved. That's God's kindness. Are you saved through your what? So to access God's grace, what does it take? Just faith. And that not of yourselves. Salvation is the gift of God, not of what? Lest any man should boast. Do you see that thing? You know, when he said not of works, he's not talking about not of bad works. We got plenty of those. 
What kind of works do you think Paul is referring to? Good works. Even the most amazing works. Hmm, what a shocker. How can it be that surely God would be impressed by somebody who could talk like a Christian, who could act like a Christian? But neither of those great things were noticed by Jesus. Neither one of them. So what is it? Uh, what is it that is the only way to get into God's heaven? John 14. John chapter 14. John chapter 14 and verse 1. The only way to get in. Folks, good works, good words will never be enough. Do you know, if you got baptized every day at sunrise in the holiest of water imaginable for the rest of your life, if you gave away all your money constantly until the day you died, if you prayed 100 million decades of the rosary, if you memorized the entire New Testament word for word, Jesus said you will have wasted all your time. Because none of your efforts can wash away the stains of your sin. Remember, God's laws were not given to make us good people. They were given to us to show what good is and to show us that we can never live up to it. And until you admit that and go, that is good and righteous and holy, and I can't live up to it. Until you finally admit that, you're not ready to get saved. So how do we get in? Jesus, John 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in... You know, a lot of people believe in God. You ever met a Muslim? A lot of people believe in God. Jesus said, you better put me on the plate. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place, verse 3, for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. I love those verses. But he goes on, verse 4, and he says, and whither I go, you know, and the way, you know. I mean, he's saying, you know where I'm going, and you know how to get there. And and Thomas, I mean, he's honest at least, he says unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. And how can we know the way? Jesus said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So what do you have to know to get to heaven? Jesus, end of story. You know him, you're in. Amen. Not just know him here, but know him in the heart. I'll speak of that in a minute. Go to First John. All the way to like, that's the Gospel of John, almost to the book of Revelation, First John chapter 5. First John chapter 5. And verse 12. First John 5 and verse 12. He that hath the Son, speaking of Jesus, he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son of God hath not life. It's that simple. It's not Mary, it's not your church, not your best efforts. It's the Son of God. And unless you get the Son of God for yourself, we say, my mom's saved, my dad's a good person. It doesn't matter what anybody else is doing. You cannot tap into their spirituality. You must be born again yourself. Amen. Jesus is the only way. I'm glad God made it that simple. How do you get the Son of God? Go to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew chapter 3 Verse 1 and 2, 
How do you get the Son of God? Well, it starts with repentance. Matthew chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Believe ye. Is that what he said? No, you know what? Every person listening to John the Baptist already was a believer. They already believed in the coming kingdom. They looked for the Messiah. They were ready to believe anything. And John said, you're not ready to believe until you repent. You're going to have to decide in your heart of hearts that you're wicked and wrong and you're focused on yourself. And I need you to turn and look to God and be ready and take whatever Savior he gives you. Repent. Look in verse uh, chapter 4, verse 17. Matthew 4, 17. That was John. Guess what Jesus said? From that time, Jesus began to preach and to say, what's the word? Repent. And he's using the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Decide that you're fed up with your sin. I hope one day you get so tired of how you live and what you think about and the stuff that goes through your head and the things that you end up doing that you don't want to do. You ought to be so fed up with that, so fed up with with who you are and what you do that you say, God, I'm tired. I'd like to be a new person. You can't make yourself a new person, but you ought to be tired of being the old person. Amen? That's repentance. It's where you look at yourself and you look in the opposite and you say, you know what? I got to get rid of my self-righteousness. I got to stop thinking I'm not so, I'm not bad enough for hell. I may not be good enough for heaven, but I'm not so bad for hell. No, you got to realize you deserve hell just like I did. And just like every other wicked sinner on this planet. It starts with repentance. Second thing. It's the desire to be converted. Again, when I got saved, I got, I got scared of this word here, and I'll tell you in a second. Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And I'd be talking to people at the door and uh, uh, giving them the gospel, and they'd step back and they'd go, you trying to convert me? <laughs> and I went, oh, no, 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 no. Because <laughs> I didn't know how to handle it. Now I do. And I say, yes, I am. Because unless you be converted, you'll split hell wide open. Amen. You can't get into heaven as a Catholic. You can't get into heaven as a Baptist. You can't get into heaven as Irish. You can't get into heaven as American. you got to get into heaven as a sinner who's been born again. That's how it works. Look at Matthew chapter 18, verse 3. And he said, Verily I say unto you, except ye be, what's the word? Converted and become as little children, starting all over again. Ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, that's repentance, the same is made greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How do you, how do you get the Son of God? Will you start with repentance? Yes, Jesus, forget to, to convert you. Say, Lord, I'm tired of me. Change me. And then you start living a life of obedience to God. Go to Romans chapter six. This is where the rubble will meet the road for some of us. Romans chapter six and verse 17. Romans 6, 17. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin. But ye have, what's that next word? I like that word. Obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. There's a great song we teach the kids over in children's church. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. Doing exactly what the Lord commands and doing it happily. 
Action is the key, do it immediately, and joy you will receive. Obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. So here, if I'm truly saved, I no longer live any way I want. I've been saved to live a life of obedience. Let me give you an example. A wicked young man plays the field, so to speak, falls in love over and over and over again, finally decides the one that he's with is the one he wants to live with for the rest of his life, so he gets married. Sounds like modern relationships today. He's married, and then he decides that serving just one woman, loving just woman, and obeying just one woman, did I say that? He decides that's not for him. He says, I can't do it. i got to play the field still. You can't do it and live. Amen? When you get married, it's one woman for life. Amen? So here's modern relationships. Modern relationships says we go until we hit the stone, hit the rocky road, and then we split up. That's not marriage, and that's not a relationship. If you want marriage, biblical marriage is you got to be ready for commitment for the rest of your life. Amen? Another example is a man needs a job, and so he applies at a warehouse and gets hired. He's told when, hey, listen to this, he's told when to show up for work, what to do, when he can take his lunch, and when he can clock out. And then that man decides that those rules and obligations aren't for him. So he comes in late, takes too long for his lunches, and leaves early. What is he thinking? You know what he's thinking? What most Christians are thinking. I'll come to Jesus, I'll pray a quick prayer, and then I'll go and live any way I want. So they wonder, why didn't my prayer, why didn't my prayer change me? Because your prayer wasn't surrendered. Your prayer wasn't from a heart. It was from the head who said, I don't want to go to hell, but I really don't want to live for God either. You see the problem with that thing? Jesus says, be careful that you're trusting your prayer life. Be careful that you're trusting your good works. Be careful that you're trusting your church attendance, and everybody ought to be in church. But that's not your key to getting to heaven. You've got to look at your life and say, do I trust and obey? Do you even care to live in obedience to Christ? If you don't, then you're lost. That's how you tell. Without hope, without God. If you don't care about what Christ says to do, I'm not saying that you find it easy. Don't you ever get the idea, oh, Pastor Craig, he must find it easy to be a Christian and to live the Christian life and to do what God's will. It's just as hard for me as it is for you. But I do care that I that I strive to try to live according to this book. If you do care, then make sure you're actually obeying his words and not just saying them. Lord, Lord. You see, the work of the gospel is not to get people to say some wonderful sounding words or to even to do some wonderful deeds. It's to change your will. The goal of the gospel is to change your will and ultimately change your life. Now, there's some facts about doing the will of God that maybe we need to establish that will help you this morning. first one is, back there in Ephesians chapter 2, you were saved to do the will of God. Ephesians chapter 2. We read 2, verse 8 and 9. Let's read them again and then incorporate verse 10. Ephesians 2, verse 8. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are 
His workmanship. We're the product of His work. Created in Christ Jesus unto what? All right. When I got saved, God did a great work in me. Some would call it a miracle. (laughs) All right? But He did that work in me so I can do what? Good works. Unto good works. So I was saved to do good things. I'm saved to do God's will for my life. Second thing about the will of God, Matthew chapter 12. Doing the will of God actually proves you're in the family of God. Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, verse 46. Matthew 12, 46, while he yet talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, stood outside, desiring to speak with him. We don't know what they want to talk to him about. We don't know what the issues were. Evidently, it was important enough that they interrupted him while he was trying to teach a house full of people. Verse 47, then one saith, said unto him, behold, thy mother, your very mother, <laughs> and your stepbrothers and sisters, your brethren, stand without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answering said unto him that told him, Wait a minute. Who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hand toward his disciples and said, Behold, my mother and my brethren, right here in front of me. For whosoever shall do the will of my Father, which is in heaven, the same as my brother and my sister and my mother. Now, I bet after that he went to go see her. But the point was he wanted to say, Don't think that just because she's my physical mother, she's any more important than the people that I'm discipling and teaching right now because they're just as much family as she is, you see, when you when you get saved and you start living the will of God, it proves that you are saved. Amen. That's the point. Third, it makes you blessed. Go to Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. Luke eleven twenty seven. 27. Hmm. We were reading this in Wednesday night Bible study. By the way, you shouldn't miss it. We're going through the Gospel of Luke, and we're in chapter 11. We dealt with this just recently. In verse 27, it came to pass as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company, she lifted up her voice and said to him, You're amazing, but blessed is the womb that bear thee, and the paps which get, which thou hast sucked. Your mom is some blessed woman. Verse 28, he said, Yea, rather. <laughs> you know who are blessed? Blessed are they that hear the word of God and now keep it doesn't mean keep it in your pocket. It means you do it. You know, when you're doing the will of God, I guarantee you, you'll be the happiest man alive, even when it's costing you everything. It also brings you peace. I'll show you this, Philippians 4. Philippians chapter 4, verse 8. Common scriptures. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren, what a wonderful list. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest. I want, I, I defy you to find any, any modern news report in this list. He says, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Then he goes on, verse 9, he says, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in my life, 
Paul said, in me, what should you do? You should do like I'm doing. And the God of peace shall be with you. You want to be at peace at night? Try to find out how Paul lived. Try to live like Jesus lived. You try to do his will. Try to do what he says do. And you can go to sleep and sleep all night. Amen, Amen folks. It blesses you. Brings you peace. I'll have to warn you, it's usually the opposite of what you would do. Go to Luke chapter 22 now. Back to Luke 22. Luke 22. You know this scripture as well. Luke 22, 42. Verse 41. And as he was withdrawn from them about a stone's cast, this is in the garden of Gethsemane, and he kneeled down and he prayed, saying, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. What is Christ's will? Take this away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Whose will should win? All right, what does it demonstrate when you see that kind of conflict? It demonstrates that the will of God usually is opposite of what your will would be. Lord, I wouldn't choose this trial I'm going through. (laughs) I don't know what you're thinking, but it's not what I want. The will of God is usually the opposite. But doing the will of God must be and must be and must be from the heart. Ephesians 6 and verse 6. Ephesians 6 and verse 6. See, a lot of people always make their own choice, make their own way, choose their own wife, find their own job. Let me tell you, not the way to live as a Christian. Greatest day in your life will be when you finally surrender and you say, Lord, I'll do your will. I'll do your will. I'll do your will. And you watch your whole life fall apart. It doesn't come together. It falls apart before God ever puts it together again. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6. Verse 5, servants, be obedient to them that are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling. In singleness of heart, as if you're serving who? as unto Christ, not while they're watching you, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ doing the will of God from the heart. So don't just say you believe God. Do you know the devils believe? I'd like you to be able to point to the fact I'm doing the will of God. I'm doing the will of God. That's a great challenge. It's not that hard. Did you know Jesus said to harlots, the sinners, the publicans, did God's will by coming to Christ. The Pharisees were saying, we will not come. And Jesus said, you ain't getting in then. <laughs> Don't tell me it's so hard. No, no, it's very easy to come. Very easy to come. God takes broken people who just decide, I'm going to do it your way, Lord. Now, there's a sevenfold will, and I won't take you through these things because it would take an hour. Or it will take discipleship. Because these are the seven things that are in your discipleship. If you ever go to the lesson 12 on the will of God, but there are seven wills that God has for all people everywhere. Number one, it is to be saved. Second Peter 3, 3, 9 says, God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Amen. God's will is for you to be born again. You say, what is God's will for my life? Are you saved? No. Then get saved. Get born again. The second will for every person on this planet is to live holy. Have a sanctified life. First Thessalonians chapter four, verse three to seven talks about abstaining from fornication. It talks about controlling what you look at and what you say and things like that. 
It's so that God's will is for me to live godly, not me, me. Third is be satisfied. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You got in that place yet? Got in that place where you can thank God for everything? I'm not there yet. But that's the will of God for me, is be able to say, Lord, you're in control. I trust you. I love you. Thank you for whatever you're doing. Satisfaction. I mean, if somebody ever came in your life and saw somebody who just wants to shoot everybody around and wants to quit and give up and and, and is uh, defeated, let me tell you, the will of God for you is to be satisfied where God has you at this moment. That's the will of God. Will of God, the fourth will of God is submit to authorities. Wait a minute, Pastor, what'd you just say? <laughs> the will of God, First Peter chapter 2, says submit even to kings, ungodly people. Submit. We don't riot, folks. We don't burn cars. We don't shoot police. Amen? Christians are harmless. The will of God is for us to submit. We may argue, we may petition, we may debate, but we're not going to fight. Are you with me? If they say it's got to be done, then we do it. If they lower the the speed limit, we slow down. (laughs) Amen. They raise our taxes, we gripingly pay our taxes. Because we submit to authority. That is the will of God. You say, I don't like the will of God. Welcome to the club. But it's the will of God. Number five, suffering. First Peter chapter three says the will of God sometimes is that you suffer. I don't understand it. I watch some people suffer. I've watched my own kids suffer and I and my wife wish that we could trade places with them. You, do, you wouldn't want suffering wished on anybody. But sometimes God's will is that somebody goes through that thing. That's the will of God, man. Try to get them out, try to help them, try to carry them through it. But let me tell you, sometimes it's the will of God. It's not what I would want. Saturation. Ephesians 5.17 says, um, uh, See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, for the days are evil. The next verse, verse 17 says, I can't remember. Ephesians, go to Ephesians, so that I don't miss this. 5.17, one book back. 5.17 says, uh, wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Next verse, 18. Be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess. But what is God's will? To be filled with the Spirit. So if you're messing around with drink or drugs or sinful habits, you've got to say, you know, the will of God is for me to be free. Amen. So I can be filled with the Holy Spirit, saturated with Him. And the seventh is to be soul winning. You know, God's will for his people is to turn the world upside down, to have an effect on this world. I'm sick and tired of this world having an effect on us, pulling us down, making us look like the world. Aren't you glad you're in a church that doesn't sound like the world and it's singing? Aren't you glad you're in a church where your pastor doesn't wear shorts? You'd be embarrassed of his legs. Anyway, and uh, the, the Hawaiian shirt and the, 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 you know, the talking and, the, you know, talking, you know, like the down to the dudes, you know. Aren't you glad you're in a church that's different? We're not perfect at all. We got a lot of stuff to work on. But you know what? We're supposed to make the difference. That's the will of God. By the way, that's the way to live. A Christian life that's holy, satisfied, submitted to authorities, suffering sometimes, saturated with the Holy Spirit, and winning the world. That glorifies God. Isn't that amazing? Say, God's will is you glorify God. Duh. I don't know how. Now I do. I live the will of God. 
Jesus now, go back to Matthew and we'll finish this up. Jesus then makes his appeal. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. He said all that to say this, and he describes with a simple story about two builders. Matthew chapter 7, verse 24. Let me read it for you. Matthew 7, 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine, what I'm teaching, and underline these next words, and doeth them, and does them, I will like him unto a wise man which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon the house, and it fell not. Why? For it was founded upon a rock. And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine, and doeth them not, does his own thing shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the beach. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Jesus is he's teaching about a wise man and a foolish man. Now, there's not, I bet most of us would love to have a house on the beach. Amen? And not a person, don't you tell me, oh, I'm spiritual, I'd rather, you'd rather live on the beach just like I would. I mean, it's just some, but there's something stupid about building on the beach. Can you understand that? Okay? It may be the most beautiful place to sit and watch the tide go in and out and the, and the, the waves, the, the sound of waves and the fishing and, oh, did I say the fishing? Everything about that would be fantastic. But guess what, folks? Storms come. You better be ready for the storms. Like a hurricane blasting and shook both houses to the core, rattled them to the foundation. One of them fell. Only one of them. One collapsed, and great was the fall of it. The other one stayed standing upon the st- uh, 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 up in the storm. What made the difference? It wasn't the builder that made the difference. It wasn't the building materials that made the difference. What was the difference? foundation upon which they built their house. And what is that? What is the foundation of this man? Rock. And that rock is Christ. That is what he taught, how he lived, and what he expects of me. And if I want my life to last, if I want my marriage to last, if I want my kids to last, if I want my church to last, if I want my my sanity to last, I better do things his way. So what's his point? There in those verses, he says, you need to build your life, your thoughts, your actions, on doing what Jesus said to do. I don't care what Pope tells you to do. I don't care what a philosophy tells you to do. I don't care what a populist tells you to do. You do what Jesus says to do. Amen. Build your life on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on him to save your soul. But did you know Jesus has a lot more to say about how to live, how to love, how to forgive, how to plan, how to give, how to spend, how to save, how to rest, how to fight, how to trust. I want to get into the whole program, not just come and go as I please. Secondly, obey whatever Christ says do in this book. You know what Christ said, first of all, you must be born again. I can't emphasize that enough. Don't you worry about anything else until your soul is saved, until your soul is right with God, until that part of you that is invisible and eternal and will live forever somewhere, until that is right with God, everything else is a waste. Don't talk to me about, am I called to be a missionary? Should I preach? 
am I supposed, don't talk to me about the will of God for your life till you settle first base. Amen? The first base is, you must be born again. And then, you know, that's a good start. Then guess what he says? Now I get baptized. I got two getting baptized here in just a few minutes. I hope every one of you come with us. And then after that, you know what you need to do? You need to be in your Bible. You need to learn what the Bible says and start doing it. You don't have to understand it all. Just do what you understand. Just step by step, live it. Then you need to join church. You say, man, I'm, I, I want to be part of this, this group because I want to be accountable and I want to help and I want to succeed at turning our world upside down. Then you need to go win somebody to Christ. You see, the, the whole process just keeps going. There's between some people in this room is some of you want to do the will of God and some of you couldn't care less. You've got your own will, got your own career, you got your own money, got your own bank account, got your own life, even got your own Bible. Yeah. Let me tell you this. Something wonderful about just doing, you know, it'd be great if everybody that we meet didn't meet us anymore. They met somebody who's a lot like Jesus. And you're not going to be that way unless you start to obey what Christ says to do in this book. Then you need to expect storms and troubles. Say, Pastor, I thought when I got saved, there'd be no more troubles. <laughs> eh. Do you know, you'll be, as long as, you'll be okay as long as Jesus is strong. He's forever. Amen. He's the rock. You can rest on the perfection and the strength of Christ, not on what you do. You know what? I do things. I think of these guys who are mountain rescuers. They get flown into an area. They get dropped onto a hillside there, and they're risking their life, and they've got all of this equipment. They're, they're anchored into the side of the wall. They've got all of this equipment on them, and one person's holding them, and somebody else is reaching down, risking his life, trying to grab somebody from the precipice, about to fall. What is he doing? He's risking his life because he's trusting all of that behind him. And he's able to do it because it's strong and he can, without thinking about his own safety, he can think about somebody else. You know what? You know, once you're born again, you don't have to worry about your safety, about your salvation. You don't have to worry about your eternity. You can just reach out and help someone else. Because our rock is mighty. He'll hold us. You can rest on it. You do not have to be perfect. I meet people who don't want to go soul and I'll probably mess it up. Yeah, you will. You'll get tongue-tied. You'll, you'll say things backwards. They'll look at you and laugh at you. But you know what? God will be glorified because you're doing what he asked you to do. And then trust that that... You know what I'm trusting? I don't trust my faith. I don't even trust my faith. I trust the rock that's holding me. That house stood there because the rock had it. You do all that and you will not fall. Here's the conclusion. Remember first base? There are two big problems with religious efforts. Good words and good works. Neither one of them were noticed by Jesus at all. If you try to get into heaven because you're a good person, Jesus will say, how'd you get in here? Who are you? Out! (laughs) Neither are noticed. Why? Because they missed first base. There's only one way to get in heaven. Jesus made that way for anybody in this room, anybody on this planet. But after that is a life of obedience. Don't forget that. Say, well, I prayed a prayer. I'm glad you prayed a prayer. But did you trust Christ 
to change your life? Did you want him even to step into your life or you decided to just sort of just say, Lord, we'll do this deal? No, there's no deal. There's surrender. I've shown you seven simple commandments of Christ. It's the will of God for all people everywhere. I hope you care to live in obedience to him. Don't end up like the foolish builder. Don't end up like the foolish builder. His whole life crashes around him. You can be born again today, and you can take the will of God. Say, you know, every person in this room, who, you say, what is the will of God for my life? I'm not talking about, am I to be a missionary, am I to be a pastor, am I to be a pastor's wife, am I to be a... How about, what are you supposed to be today? How am I supposed to live? Father, we bow right now and we take a moment. And there are a lot of people in this room. Salvation is simple. It's just trust in Christ. But a lot of people believe in their good work still. Think they've got to be good enough got everything all backwards. They're running around trying to get to heaven. Maybe they never, ever, ever said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me. Then there are those who have. But they constantly fight the will of God. They constantly fight the tug of the Holy Spirit. Every message is a battle. When somebody preaches, in their heart is an, is, rises up anger and rises up resistance and says, no, I'm not going to step out of my comfort zone. No, I'm not going to do anything other than what I want to do. Father, please, break that heart. Break my heart from ever arguing with you. Lord, there are marriages in this room that struggle because you have two self-willed people who don't know how to humble themselves and submit to you. And with every head bowed, every eye closed, I beg of you, God, that we would decide our homes are not built upon the rock. Our thinking is not built upon what Jesus said. Lord, give us back a desire to do the will of God day in and day out without question. And we'd be quick to live instead of just say, instead of doing our own thing, as wonderful as it may be, maybe we'd find out, what is it you want me to do, Lord? What is it you would have me to do? With every head bowed and every eye closed, please stand with me. Everybody standing. Just think for a second and say, Lord, I have to be honest, I'm kind of the fighter. And I'm sorry. I come to church and I come with a lot of good things I can say. And I can point to a lot of good things that I do. But I know I'm not doing God's will. If you asked your wife, are you in God's will? I wonder what she would say. Ladies, if you asked your husband, are you living like Christ would live? I wonder what he would say. I wonder what your kids would say. You know, they're not the ones you have to worry about. Jesus is the one. If he were here today and he could sit down with you, I wonder what he would say about what you need to do to get into the will of God. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Don't trust in a prayer. 
trust in the rock. Father, we just take this moment and we, Lord, we want revival. We want a change in our lives. So we cannot work to change. But we need to be committed that when you change us, we're going to take off and we've been saved unto good works. I pray that we start to live in obedience. Start to live step by step. Our goal is to live the obedient Christian life. May that be our burden today. In Jesus' name, amen.